This is Me, Myself and Disaster, the show all about disasters with a human focus. From hurricanes to humanitarian issues, we journey across fault lines to explore trends in disaster preparedness, response and recovery and understand how our guests became involved in disasters. Over to you, Disaster Brothers, Josh and Andrew. G'day to all of our disaster enthusiast friends out there. My name's Josh, and this is the first podcast for the Disaster Brothers. We have some great content for our listeners today, don't we, Andrew? Yes, thank you, Josh. Super excited to be with you today as we have Antro Han from the Student Volunteer Army in Christchurch with us. He was involved following the two earthquakes in 2010 and 2011 with a magnitude of 6.3 in Feb 2011, felt as far as Wellington, thousands of buildings destroyed and damaged. But what was really good was the number of volunteers that came out to help following that event and the change in nature of resilience in Christchurch in the years following. So Ants, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Can you take us back to the day when the earthquakes first hit Christchurch in 2010 and then again in 2011? Where were you and, and what happened? Yeah, so the one that happened in 2010 was, um, I can't recall, it was something like 4, 4 a.m. On a, on a Sunday morning or something. So, you know, most of, most of Christchurch was in bed and we were, um, we were no different. But um, so it was just basically the, the room started shaking and we just sort of woke up with a bit of confusion thinking, what's going on here? And thought, oh, shoot, we've got a bit of a, we've got an earthquake happening. So quickly rolled out of bed and just got under something to, to protect ourselves. And um, and then it just sort of disappeared again. So in a bit of confusion, just, just had a look around outside to check what, you know, there was no damage and that there wasn't anything bad going on. But I did have a hysterical flatmate who had arrived home from town about an hour later in a bit of an inebriated state and she was convinced that a plane had crashed into the house because that that was her only explanation for what she she was um experiencing at the time wow so in terms of that 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 first um that first impact in terms of from that then to actually people experiencing damage or seeing things, when, how did that happen? Like, did people just go back to sleep or did people come out into the streets? Wasn't until that morning that people saw the damage? How, how did that play out? Yeah, I mean, I, I walked out, it was pitch pitch dark and I just had a torch and just sort of had a look out into the street. And I remember seeing a few other people and everyone was just sort of saying, are you okay? Yep. And I think the adrenaline was going, so... Um, we, we got the radio on and just sort of started listening to what was going on and just realizing the, um, the scale and the impact of what it was. But, um, I mean, there were a few minor aftershocks after that, but, um, effectively just went back to sleep because it was quite early in the morning, so thought <laughs> go back to sleep, but it was woken up by the sound, by, by some, some sort of like repetitive sound. And I was like, what's going on? And walked outside. And it was my neighbor who was on his roof and he was taking down the bricks on his chimney because his, his chimney had, had suffered some damage. And he was just going one, at a, one brick at a time, taking it off and throwing it on the ground. So I think at that point I realized, oh, this was actually quite serious. You know, there was, there was some damage done. Wow. So 
So you've, you've walked outside, you've had a look, you thought, oh, well, there's something's happened, go back to sleep. Next morning, things start to become a little bit more real. You know, things start to, to come, become a little bit clearer around the actual magnitude of this. So I guess people would have heard of the student army in Christchurch um, as, as a response to, to the earthquake. Can you take us through, I guess, the moments from when that earthquake happens to then your involvement, Ants, in terms of that student army? Like, ha, ha, did you fall into it? Did someone recruit you? I guess, what was the, how did that, that story kind of unfold for you personally? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, uh, so that was the first earthquake. And while there was damage, there wasn't like widespread public damage. I think there was a lot of, um, all of a sudden, there were some buildings that had some cracks in it and the odd um, uh, chimney that came down, but there wasn't really sort of like, hardcore damage done and I do believe at that point the student volunteer army got spun up and it started doing something but I wasn't really uh, involved at that point and so it kind of came on my radar I'd heard about them and but for all intents and purposes sort of went back to normal life so to speak um, until and then it was wasn't until the next earthquake in February 2011 and that was the the, the bigger one. So that, that had um, sort of about 10 minutes to one in the middle of the day. And yeah, that's that's the one that sort of had some widespread property damage. We had loss of lives. We had um, liquefaction coming up and out of the ground. So, and effectively the whole, the whole city ground to a halt then. Mm. And um, a couple of days, it might've been, might've been about a day, maybe two days after that, um, I got a phone call from a friend. He says, hey, I'm going to this meeting with uh, with this guy called Sam Johnson. He's with the uh, Student Volunteer Army. And I sort of thought to myself, oh yeah, I remember hearing from them, um, about them from the from the last quake. He said, you should, you should come along. So popped into this house. There are um, about 20 people running around frantically, which look like they're trying to organize something. I kind of didn't really know what I was doing there. So I just sort of sat back, just watching what was going on. And then eventually, uh, I think Sam Sam came in and, and they had a, a bit of a briefing, a bit of a formal sort of meeting saying, hey, this is the situation. This is what's happening. What do we got for ideas? And it was at that point it started going, okay, we're going to start um, getting some students together. We're going to get them out to the to these areas and tomorrow morning and we're going to start digging some silt going to start helping people out and it was like it was just it was just on it was no sort of like waiting for permission or anything it was just like we've seen this opportunity we've got to get it going and um and i was introduced to a few people and they said oh you're you're an accountant right great right we need a finance guy so (laughs) (laughs) instantly i was sort of pulled into the kind of uh into that crew but more in the sort of like financial and support role yeah yeah okay that's really interesting. Mm. So, so had you had you volunteered at all before this point in your in your life? Like, did were you part of any agencies or organisations before this point? Not not to do with um, emergency response or anything like that. Um, I had uh, I was involved with a, a youth charity, so I'd been a volunteer youth worker and um, sort of involved with lots of things outside of work. So I think there was almost um inherently there was a culture of of volunteering or at least you know working on projects when you're not necessarily getting paid for them so it didn't really um 
I guess that that came quite naturally is I didn't have to stop and think about it. Mm. Um, I mean, I did have to go to my employer and say, hey, um, I'm working away on this student volunteer army for the next two weeks. And they said, no problems. Just let us know when you want to come back in. So they were really um, grateful. Yeah. There's lots of volunteer opportunities out there. Why why particularly this event did you get involved? Was it something to do with the scale and the magnitude of this earthquake and the impact on Christchurch? Why why this event particularly um, did you get involved? Um, I think it was more around the opportunity presenting itself. Um, so I guess just having that attitude of just saying yes to an opportunity. But also, I mean, having, having already been a couple of days of um, being at home, you know, I'd sort of, I'd check my house, we'd sort of sorted out a few things, but I don't think at the time we didn't have power back on, we didn't have water back on, and it was sort of a um, feeling of, I want to be doing more, you know, like I've checked on my house, I've checked on my neighbours, uh, people I was living with, they were all fine, and I sort of thought, well, what more could I be doing? So I think when when the phone call came through saying, hey, come to this meeting, it, it just sort of, it just ticked a box in my head. I was like, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sort of thinking, no, nah, I'm a bit busy. I think I'll just sit at home for a while, you know? Yeah, Netflix and chill, no thanks. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, the, when you actually got involved and you had the capacity to help along with other people, what types of tasks were the volunteers undertaking um, in the student volunteer army? So they're out there doing a whole heap of things. What type of tasks were you and, and others involved in? Yeah, so I guess um, we were more in the sort of, uh, it's, it's quite interesting because I look back on this now and I, and effectively we sparked up our own emergency operations centre and so and went through a bit of a, um, over in New Zealand we've got a model called SIMS which is Coordinated Incident Management Systems um, and we basically by organically created that structure so it was a team of maybe about 20 people who were who were doing things like planning and intel, um, logistics, finance, um, squad leaders going out and actually running these things. So, so it was a sort of like, um, yeah, like I'd say, the kind of like the, the organizing crew, which is what I was part of. And then there was um, a plethora of uh, students, university students, because the way the, Christ, the, the earthquake hit Christchurch is that the east side of uh, Christchurch was badly damaged. That was where the sort of more swampy um, land was, some more damage. And on the west side, you almost wouldn't have known there was an earthquake. So, and the university was situated on the west side and being the start of the, the calendar, the university year, you all of a sudden had university was shut down and you had... I don't know, 12,000 students sitting there twiddling their thumbs wow. with nothing to do. And it sounds like that was a very well-coordinated event. So if, um, say, foreign emergency and civil defence, I'm sure they would have been involved big time in this type of event. How did you guys work with those more structured hierarchical agencies um, like FENS when they were out there? Did you have a, some sort of coordination or liaison with, those, with that team? I think that ended up coming later because this was... Um, Probably, like, I mean, in my lifetime, this is the biggest sort of uh, natural disaster slash response type I've ever seen. So um, we were just getting up and going, and it was just more about um, we'll, we'll ask for forgiveness later instead of sitting around waiting for a mission to do anything. 
I know that from probably within a couple of days, um, there were people starting to go into civil defences, emergency operations centre, trying to kind of be one of the people in there saying, hey, we're here, this is what we can do. But, I mean, as they were, they were just spinning up, trying to grasp with the scale of things. And I just don't think that kind of spontaneous volunteer was a... Um, it was probably just another one of the blips on their radar, but just wasn't a priority. So I think we just went out there and did it. And then later on got, I guess, got became more involved and got more direction from, from civil defense. So while, while it might not have officially been the correct way to have done things, it was the most effective way. Yeah, and that's and that's really interesting. That I guess that intersection between quite a quite a flat and organic kind of structure, which usually spontaneous volunteer movements are, and then how they interact with with a more layered structure like a command and control. But I guess what I'm hearing here is that you guys actually, you know, even though I, it wasn't intended, that you almost as well kind of had your own layered structure in there as well. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't think we like we we didn't have prior knowledge of how civil defence or sims or anything works. So when we're sort of trying to uh, knock on the door, we didn't really know where we fitted or how that structure worked. So whereas we're a little bit blind in that respect. But um, funnily, after after all of this happened, you know, we we looked at the sim structure and went, oh, that's exactly what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. So I guess a lot of our listeners um, are obviously in the emergency management space. So I guess I'd love to hear from your side of the fence, you know, if this was if this was to happen again, or say in Australia, we would have a large spontaneous volunteering uh, movement. I guess what's some what's some really helpful hints or some strategies that you could, I guess, give our our practitioners especially the ones who are probably sitting in government agencies around how they can probably better harness spontaneous volunteers um in in a future event yeah um yeah that's it's it's a really difficult one because i mean I, i don't know what the statistics would say but you know most lives saved would probably have been by spontaneous volunteers you know basically people that were at the scene of you know, if there was masonry falling outside of the building and people trapped under it, there would have been volunteers right there pulling bricks off people, mm. getting people out, you know. So you kind of had that kind of initial response from a, a saving life's perspective. I think what we were doing was more around uh, property and and welfare. You know, there are people in um, in some of these suburbs who had not seen another person for a, for a week and they're yeah. living house with no power no water liquefaction one meter up the side of their house so a lot of very scared people so i think in some regards there's almost no way to manage you know, there'll be there'll be some which will just happen you know mm-hmm. people will just turn up with diggers and just do their thing but yeah i think finding a liaison is really the key thing if you can find that key point um someone that you can liaise with and perhaps it's not necessarily about also having that um, command and control structure and saying, hey, you must be here, you must do that, but just more about having the information and look at opportunities of where you can exploit in a good way, uh, spontaneous volunteers to just be like, just go and do that because that's going to get something done, but also without um, 
going to the point of it creating um, creating health and safety risks and making situations worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting. So, I guess you know we've been talking about you know the moment the earthquake hit then i guess i really like how you you um you phrase it and and, and when, when andrew and i were actually in christchurch with yourself the way you phrased it around that the whole idea of spooling up like it wasn't that it wasn't you know it didn't just like happen like on off but it was almost like this spooling and this exponential like acceleration that happened in the movement but i guess can you t- take us through then you know where to from there you you were obviously on the ground you were with um you know in, in the thick of it operating and helping out the community what happened then like what did the wind down look like was there ever conversation around you know what more could we do in the recovery i guess how did you transition um how did the student army i guess transition out or kind of wind down out of that response phase and more into that probably more recovery phase yeah yeah um we were we were going we were going every day for i think for around about two weeks and i think it was getting towards halfway through that second week where I think it was just the the stress, the time, the the energy levels of the core team were starting to to wane a little bit. You know, we'd just been running full on the whole time. Hadn't really, you know, we weren't talk, we didn't have like shifts of people running running things. You know, so there was a lot of um, I think some people were getting close to burnout. Um, there had been links at that point established with civil defence, and there were links to like um local contractors and that sort of thing so we're here we were um uh with shovels like literally digging putting into wheelbarrows um these guys were just turning up with their big tractors and just going and in five minutes had cleared that area so it was becoming a bit more it was getting a bit more into that um maybe a little bit more into that recovery phase and so we just sort of took stock of things and thought look let's let's work up until this date and then we'll, we'll we'll call it a break you know it was also a good time to give students a break as well there'd been um some that had turned up every single day there are people that were you know would, would alternate and some that had just done once or twice but over the course of that two weeks we had over eleven thousand students come through wow so that's the sort of scale of things that was picking up and we just thought well this isn't sustainable and also the immediate need wasn't quite there anymore so we thought okay we felt like we're done our task and let's take a break and then if we need to do anything more then we can get back into it because also by that stage university had started saying to students okay we've got to start thinking about what's next for you guys and um and so i think people were starting to think about their, their own lives more so than um than than having to help out it's interesting, yeah, it's a huge event. It's the scale of this is massive. And I think, too, the events have certainly changed, or disaster events have certainly changed with technology over the last few years. And um, even in 2010 and 2011 to now, a lot has changed in the technology space. But I'm interested to know, what role does social media play in using Facebook groups and that sort of thing? Did that have an impact on the event? And do you think things would be different without social media? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, it was certainly... Um, the, the way the way it all happened was through Facebook. So a Facebook group or page was basically set up, and then every day a post, you know, a post would um, go out going, okay, be be at the university at seven thirty a.m. for briefing, 
and then we're getting into things like setting up systems for like um, registering people as they came in and that sort of thing. So without a doubt, without social media, would not have had the, um, probably wouldn't have happened as fast, you know, basically a message could go out and all of a sudden it was happening. Um, whereas I guess as a alternative, there was also um, a group set up called the Farmy Army and there was a bunch of farmers coming into the city to help again with very similar things. Now, I probably hazard a guess that they weren't as active on social media, but they still had their own communications and they were able to still um, spool up a really strong force as well. So it wasn't, um, I don't think social, I mean, we would have got away with it if social media didn't exist, but it just meant that you could just do things so quickly and so instantly. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the, the the student army. I guess a lot of people are probably wondering. Um, you know, it was it was a great force, um, a, a great a, a, I guess response or outcome to something that was quite horrible. Um, and uh, there's probably a lot of our listeners out there who are probably thinking, you know, what what's next for the student army? Like, what are they doing now? Are they still, you know, is there still a structure in place? Um, has there been planning around, you know, what's next? What what if another another earthquake happens? We had, you know, you guys had a had a shock in Wellington a week or two ago. Um, so, you know, the threat and the risk is very much something that you guys live with every day. You know, what what's next for the student army? Yeah. So. Um, out the back of that, I guess uh, a lot of us took some some time out. So, I mean, personally, like I wasn't a student, so I'd you know I'd finished my studies. But um, what ended up uh, happening out the back of that is that at University of Canterbury, we've got a really strong clubs culture, where students set up their own clubs and membership-based organisations. So, uh, one of the things that happened was Student Volunteer Army became a club at the University of Canterbury. So it became something that people wanted to to connect to, but also have that, um, that connection back to the university. So that's that's one thing that happened. And then later on, um, Sam Johnson, who was the, uh, one of the co-founders of the Volunteer Army, he, he's, he was thinking, well, we need to be doing more in the public eye. So he started up a charitable trust as well. And then he sort of called on some of us who were in that, um, in that initial response. And we became sort of those initial trust, or, you know, some of the trustees to start help taking it forward so they had a I think that after about a year in the um, aftershocks had wound down the the risk was student volunteer army was seen as an earthquake response you know like okay there's no more earthquakes what's our relevance so a lot of work went in with the, the, the student volunteer army club and talking more about how do we how do we change the conversation around providing opportunities for uh, students to have a go at volunteering because if you've done it once or twice, you're more likely to be a volunteer later on in your life. Very interesting. So that was sort of some of the research that was coming out. So what more could we do? So the, the club was starting to do things like run local volunteer days like around the local community or tree plantings out by the beach. Uh, they even did trips to other parts of the South Island to sort of do some really hardcore, you know, take take five or six hundred students away and go do some hardcore volunteering somewhere. So that became more of what they were. And then, of course, each year with these clubs, the, the sort of like the management changed, you know, the, the organising crew. So you're starting to get these leaders come through and then passing on knowledge. And there was almost like 
generations who may may have heard of the student volunteer army but didn't actually you know they weren't actually connected to the original event and now they were running it so they were really cool from the club's perspective and then from the volunteer army the the, the i guess the trust or foundation perspective they're looking more broadly and thinking well what else could be done for volunteers uh one of the projects they had was around uh trying to set up a bit of a um and like a national volunteers day so for a couple of years we ran in conjunction with the return servicemen's association um you know on anzac day let's get out and do something in the community let's volunteer our time so so that was sort of just trying to get back to that idea of of service and giving back you know in a bit of a different context than what it might have been um a hundred years ago that's great. And I just love that whole idea, you know, like we look at the Sendai framework and, you know, the fourth priority action is all around, you know, building back better. And I just love that out of something so horrible, um, out of a moment of chaos, you know, there's a structure now mm. that that's cultivating leadership, that's changing the culture um, of, of, a, of a younger generation and changing people's, you know, minds and hearts um, to actually value value volunteerism mm. a little bit more a little bit more and you know it may not be be that they they become a volunteer in the emergency space but they may go on to volunteer in another space and to, and for us and i think for our industry that's a huge benefit for society at the end of the day yeah one of the cool projects they I've, i'm no longer involved in the foundation but one of the projects they were launching just as i was finishing up was a was a school kit so that um primary schools and secondary schools could set up their own student volunteer army within their school. And, you know, they got little wee cards with, hey, you're running this role, which project are you gonna run? It took them through a whole process. So now you're even getting at the younger level, the sort of that concept of volunteering. Getting That's great, I love it. Yeah. And I think that really, like the whole events that uh, impacted Christchurch has certainly probably changed the way volunteering happens in the city. And I'm just wondering, are there any other signs, given the population has been through such a, a traumatic and, and large-scale event, are there any signs now that the community is more resilient as a result of that event, do you think? Yeah, yeah. We've, um, unfortunately, we've had a few bad runs. We've had, we had a mosque shooting um, a year ago, and then, of course, most recently, we've had this COVID-19 hit. And I think I found my reflection on COVID-19 was when when the nation was told you're going to lock down, um, businesses and people in Canterbury, Christchurch, were just sort of like, oh yeah, okay, we'll just, no worries, this isn't really a big thing for us. But we I did notice that um, people living in Wellington or Auckland who probably haven't been through as many um, incidents and probably I just think Christchurch has a bit more resilience built into it as a result. So, you know, we sort of take things a lot more easier in our stride, whereas people in Auckland would probably, oh, you can't, you can't tell me I can't go into the city. You know? interesting. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, yeah. It's almost that whole spin-off effect that, yeah. Has, um, has the student army in terms of the structure, have they been involved with any, any activities due to, due to COVID-19 and due to yeah. the pandemic? Well, that was something I was really, really stoked to see. Um, the with with the lockdown here in uh, in New Zealand, um, you pretty much weren't allowed to leave the house unless you were going for groceries 
or going to the, the pharmacy. And that was fine if you were an able-bodied person or, you know, weren't, um, didn't have any medical conditions. But what, what they found is that there's um, elderly or people with immune deficiencies who are a bit afraid to leave the house. So out of that, the, um, the Student Volunteer Army saw an opportunity there and they actually um, set up a website and a phone number, partnered with a local um, uh, car dealership, and they were going around taking orders, um, going and buying the, sh the groceries, and then going and delivering them back to, to um, these people who couldn't go and do it themselves. Um, even, got, even had ads on the TV and everything saying, hey, do you need some help? Give us a call. Wow. And so just seeing that come up on TV, and I thought, man, this is just like, you know, seeing that opportunity, seeing the need, and here goes an answer to it. It really is for me, it shows that there's a really strong link between resilient communities and people taking almost ownership of their risk and really getting involved and playing a part in the community. And that volunteerism culture, I think, that's established now in, in Canterbury and Christchurch is certainly, it's only evidence of that, that there's a real link between more resilient communities and more people being involved in volunteering. So that's, that's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, I guess, last thing that'd be really interesting to ask you, Ants, is that you know, you've been through the earthquake, um, you know, you've had this experience with the student army. What's that personal, you know, what's that personal experience meant for you? Um, you know, understand that at the start of it, you were saying that your career was an accountant, like what's changed for you out of that? Or, or what's been some of those key, you know, lessons that you've really taken away and I guess have applied to your life, um, to your life now? Yeah. Um... I think there was a bit of a, you know, you take a bit of a reflection on your, you know, your, your mortality a little bit and you sort of think, well, geez, we're pretty lucky. There were, you know, close to 200 people that weren't as lucky here. And, and so, um, I mean, personally, like I took the opportunity to, to step back a little bit from day-to-day -day work and actually set up my own firm, uh, my own accounting firm. So I had a little bit more flexibility in life, but actually meant that I could do um, work that had a bit more meaning to me. So instead of just say helping the rich people get richer, I was working with the sort of clients I'd love to work with. Um, the other thing I did was uh, I started volunteering and with one of the civil defense response teams. So I guess the equivalent of one of your SES teams over there and got involved, got involved with that. And yeah, I've really sort of committed a lot of my time to, to volunteering there now because it's just nice to have a feeling that you've got something you can um, you can contribute to, and and we have had some more earthquakes and floods and fires and some pieces since. So it, for me, it's been given an opportunity to still be involved in some sort of, in a response instead mm. of um, sitting at home with nothing to do. Fantastic. Look, thank you so much for I guess being with us today. Um, I know our listeners will really appreciate um, you coming here and sharing sharing some of your learnings and your experiences. And Andrew and I, um, you, you know, we met you um, six months ago in Christchurch, and, and we are so thankful that you've, you've, I guess, opened up your time to us and, and come on board and, and and shared a lot of key learnings that Andrew and I have taken away with and, and provided us with a lot of a lot of food for thought. So, thank you so much for being here today, um, and can't wait to hopefully when these restrictions uh, finish, get back over there with you in Christchurch and catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, guys. Thank you. Wow, Andrew, wasn't that a great podcast? It sure was. Listening to Ants around 
how it happened, the motivations, and even some tips and tricks in there for some of our emergency management professionals out there on the front line. Absolutely, I just learned so much today. Look, as always guys, you can follow our, our disaster blog at disasterbros.com. Share this podcast with your friends if you found it had an impact on you and your thoughts. But also, as always, disasters can be a chaotic. And this episode may have brought up some feelings for some individuals that have been through previous disasters. As always, there's multiple services out there to help you, like Lifeline. If you've experienced any emotions or need someone to talk to, you can contact Lifeline Australia on 131114. And guys, can't wait to see you out there in the next disaster. Thanks for listening to Me, Myself and Disaster. Subscribe today at memyselfdisaster.com. Learn more about disasters and follow our blog at disasterbros.com.